Hello, you're listening to The Living Revolution, where we talk about the most exciting applications of biology. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Neil Dixon. He's going to be walking us through how we can use synthetic biology to produce valuable chemicals. This has applications in circular economy, sustainability, and allowing reactions to occur in milder conditions. This podcast is brought to you by the Manchester iGEM 2021 team, with support from the Manchester Institute of Biotechnology and the University of Manchester. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, so the first question is, um, what areas of manufacturing do you think are a valuable target for synthetic biology? So, yeah, I guess there's a really broad church of opportunities um, within uh, biomanufacturing where synthetic biology can have an impact. Obviously, that can go all the way from very high value uh, applications such as therapeutics, emerging cell and gene therapies through to kind of intermediate kind of industrial enzymes, recombinant therapeutic proteins, flavor and fragrances uh, in the kind of small molecule, all the way through to to chemicals and fuels. So there's a, a real spectra of different challenges across that whole landscape in terms of pressure on price and commodity price for the things at the very uh, right-hand side uh, versus uh, very long lead times on, on the front end for those very high-value applications. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a, a broad scope of uh, opportunities and, I guess, things in the immediate, uh, in the intermediate space have, have done quite well with, with the synthetic biology badge on them. Um, things in the in the flavor and fragrances market which are somewhere in between can command good high prices certainly a few orders of magnitude better than commodity chemicals but without the very long lead times of therapeutic kind of applications what are the current issues with manufacturing that synthetic biology could help solve for example in regards to circular economy sustainability or being able to perform reactions at different temperatures, pressures and pHs? Yeah, okay. So it's quite a complicated question. I guess there's uh, about three questions in one there as well as I read the question. Um, so the, the, the issues I see them are often quite unique to the individual product or process or application area. Um, obviously, we talked about before with very low volume, high value applications. Um, some of the issues uh, are around purity and quality control. Obviously, if it's going to be injected into a human, uh, there's less of a demand on that about unit price cost. It's all about quality. Um, so I guess those are the, some of the issues that synthetic biology can, can address in terms of trying to uh, improve product profile purity as it comes out of your engineered um, cell line. In terms of the utility uh, applications in circular economy and sustainability, yeah, for sure. Symbio kind of sits directly in that space in the ability to use feedstocks that are current waste or certainly very low uh, value applications. So things that are coming out of agricultural residues or things that are um, currently waste um, in the environment, whether they be plastics or things like that, that could be used as feedstocks. Uh, so Symbio has an approach to be able to certainly engineer microorganisms to use those low-value feedstocks. And um, that's certainly a competitive advantage um, over petrochemical and feeds into sustainability and circular economy issues. Yes, on the last and final point around kind of reaction conditions, yeah, I'd say Synthetic biology does have a, a part to play, not 
the only approach and only technology that would be done in isolation. I would say, you know, you want to use these in combination with other approaches like direct evolution to make your enzymes work better under these kind of um, uh, non-mesophilic conditions, if you will, or these more stressed uh, extreme in, uh, conditions in terms of pH and pressure and temperature. Um, but also I think um, you're going to reach the limit of what enzymes can do that are from these kind of ambient conditions and you need to do work in, in concert with with these uh, metagenomic hunters who go to these extreme environments and find organisms and, and, and um, enzymes from those organisms that will work under these uh, extreme conditions as, such as pH, temperature and pressure. So um, we've spoken about purity, we've spoken about sustainability. Is there any other way that you think some synthetic biology can make a positive contribution? So, I mean, I guess really the way I see synthetic biology, it's, it's, it's a concept, it's a way of thinking, a philosophy, if you will, rather than a particular technology or necessarily a set of technologies. So okay. the, the advantage um, you would hope to achieve is that you, you reach your optimal endpoint, whatever that be, whether you're producing a chemical or you're trying to do some bioremediation in the environment, you reach that in a, in a faster, quicker, uh, and more cost-effective time than you would via a traditional approach. So I guess that's the, uh, the purported uh, advantage of a synthetic biology over traditional approaches is that you should be able to get there quicker and also maybe understand some of the variables. So you're not normally just making one variable or one strain so that if you find in some context your strain that you've selected initially is, is non-optimal, you can, for whatever reason, when you put it in your final bioreactor or your final process, you can go back and select uh, another variant. So I guess it's cost, time, and hopefully flexibility. I would say the advantages of synthetic biology in their approaches. Sorry, I'm just curious because you said before, you mentioned before about how synthetic biology is, you'd say, like not the only answer, if I remembered correctly. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to ask what you meant by that and what would be, because you, you mentioned uh, using a combination of methods. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how you see, how, how do you see that looking like? How would you envision that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're just sort of talking semantics now, aren't they? These are human projections about how we call different disciplines and what is synthetic biology and what isn't. But I guess it, it, it was the answer was specifically focusing on how you could make um, biological processes uh, to work in an extreme environments of low pH, pressure, and temperature. And and I, I guess the reason why I was saying you need to do these in combination is it's if we're mostly focusing on bacteria that live in humans or in, in, in soils, which is what most people use and they're most generally widespread sequence genomes. And so those are the genomes we look in when we're looking for new enzymes and so forth. If we only focus on those areas, it's going to be an uphill challenge to engineer those enzymes and those hosts to work in these extreme environments so really we need to be looking into other environments so we need to be looking with these metagenomic hunters who look um, and go and sequence extremophiles essentially um, and and use those as uh, resources as genomic resources to find new enzymes it doesn't mean you can't then apply the same synthetic biology 
principles and processes to those genes and enzymes in those organisms, I guess I'm just saying that if you, there's some real big challenges there, I guess, in work in terms of low pressure and things like that, um, um, that you, you need to make sure that you're starting from a good position. And um, elaborating a little bit upon that, is that how uh, synthetic biology could potentially bring a bit more uh, flexibility into the manufacturing process? Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think the transfer of or um, the transfer of genes and enzymes between different organisms is is very facile. Obviously, it's it's very cheap and easy to synthesize a gene and clone it to a new host. I guess arguably the more bigger challenge is working with extreme file hosts. If you want to take, for example, an E. coli and make it work under those extreme conditions, that's got to be quite a, a challenge to completely rewire its whole makeup. Um, whereas you might be better working off with a different host or um, a different chassis using the synthetic biology terminology that's more uh, amenable to those environments. So you mentioned um, that synthetic biology has been quite successful in sort of making fragrances and that sort of thing. I was wondering if either in that sort of area or another area, what's one of your favorite success stories um, in implementing synthetic biology? Yeah, yeah. So the one I kind of pulled out and uh, uh, to expand on is not actually in the flavor and fragrances. Although I think there's some really interesting uh, approaches there and some technology companies that are doing really well. Um, the one I actually pulled out was uh, Genomatica. So uh, they're based in, in San Diego. So they're making a series of uh, butane diols. So it's a commodity chemi chemical that goes in form uh, butane and uh, other polymeric materials and lots of other um, everyday um, low-value, high-volume applications. So I guess their approach isn't purely synthetic biology in terms of standalone sense, but they have used it and they do implement it. And they have this systems engineering approach where they look in a really holistic sense um, from feedstock prices and changes of those prices um, as they've developed their process. And obviously crude oil changes and has changed over the last sort of 10, 15 years massively. And that can really affect viability of their processes. Um, they've looked at that feedstock price in collaboration, in, in conjunction with their host and the, the product profile, the types of side products they make, the types of impurities. They look at that in, in conjunction with the downstream purification and the overall pro uh, process and the capital cost requirements to build a manufacturing plant. So they have a really nice um, approach, a, a tool um, that looks at this in a really holistic sense. Um, and I guess synthetic biology and cell and engineering is one part, one very valid part to play, but it's, they're interconnected, all of these things. And I guess that's the, uh, the approach that I picked out because I was really uh, attracted by what they'd done. Um, and hadn't just set their biologists off making a cell line that made as much butane dial as possible and then just transferred it to the engineering plant and then said, engineers, you, you deal with this now. It's a, it's, it's a really joined up. And I think maybe traditional companies, maybe sometimes pharma could be accused of having silos and throwing things over um, into the next silo for someone else to deal with, uh, whereas that's a really nice approach. So it takes an engineering approach, yeah, a synthetic biology approach and to the mindset and it just expands it out into feedstock and process and products, profiles and so forth. So what? Um, so you mentioned the the example there. What do you think were the main um, sort of three 
So in three areas, the technolog technological, social, and legal hurdles along the way um, for that company reaching success. Yeah, um, I think probably balancing all the things we talked about, having this uh, technological, how to integrate all of those different elements into their kind of dashboard that they use um, and trying to select the best host uh, in combination with the feedstock and um, the uh, downstream purification costs. So I know as Genomatic were developing their technology, it was developing through the, so 2015, 2016, oil prices at that point were rock bottom, $50 per barrel. So really, really cheap. So really difficult for them to compete in that sense. So I think having this integrated view as, uh, as a technological approach really allowed them to um, adapt um, their their processes to make their development a viable opportunity for their investors and to, to kind of keep going that they can still see that this is going to be realistic. So I guess that's the, the, the a bit of technological and economic really tied in together, those two. That's, that's two answers for one. Uh, from, from the social um, uh, and societal impact, um, I think I think the there's a positive news story um, in terms of being able to make things um, from sustainable sources. So they make it from corn syrup. There is pros and cons around that. Obviously, you, you feed into the fuel versus uh, fuel versus food debate around land use. Um, they make that syrup and that glucose goes into their manufacturing process. So there's, there's, there's questions around that, but I think the product at the end um, does obviously have some advantages from a marketing perspective for the companies who end up taking that on. And I think it's, it's actually BSAF who've taken that, BASF who've taken that uh, forward with Genomatica. And is there sort of a, a legal framework for setting up these um, sort of synthetic biology-based companies where there's genetically engineering organisms involved? Um, I mean, the, the, the regulations are, are established. They're not particularly new. They're not set up specifically for synthetic biology. It's generally around genetic engineering and the use of GMOs, genetic modified organisms. So that's quite well, very robust in terms of what you can and can't do and the, the required containment to avoid um, those uh, organisms being released into the environment. So there's, there's strong policies uh, around what you can do. In that space, and obviously, if you're doing it via traditional methods or modern synthetic biology methods, it it doesn't really matter. The same legislation applies, so it's already kind of dealt with in a way. What are the key advantages that you think need to occur to realize synthetic biology in more areas of manufacturing? Yeah, I guess I'd say that we, as a community, as a sector, as users of synthetic biology, need to learn more. If you take this example of this iterative design, build, test, learn cycle, we can't keep going back to design every single time. If, if we do that, then it's, the technology is not going to be accessible and amenable. So if someone in a company wants to take this on, they don't have the bandwidth or capacity to go back to design uh, each time and start developing components and systems and building it all the way up. So I think it's important that we learn and we come up with more rules. Um, we may not understand why those rules are there, so we may not really understand it from a systems biology perspective, but we understand what works and what doesn't work and the 
boundaries in which that thing works, whether that component works um, or that circuit works, um, so that systems can be reusable. So I guess part of that is is learning, and part of that is trying to develop systems that are robust and insulated. So things that can be reused over and over again, so we don't have to go back to to the drawing board each time. And I think in academia we're kind of guilty of that, of going back and developing uh, yet another technology that maybe already exists. One could argue in the DNA assembly world, you know, we've got quite a few DNA assembly methods. Do we really need to go back and develop another one? There may be certain bespoke applications where you need a different feature. Um, but there is, uh, I guess, uh, maybe as a sector, we're guilty of sometimes doing the same thing over and over again in a slightly different way. So I guess we kind of need to move forward and make things that are robust and reusable. I was just going to say, kind of, uh, the that was looking forward for synthetic biology. Looking in the past, say, in recent years, what do you think are the uh, best uh, advances in the technologies that synthetic biology uses that have had the most effect? Yeah, I think in terms of the things we use, it's the continued cost reduction in the ability to read and write DNA that just drives and underpins everything. Um, there's new companies coming on board all the time. Um, obviously, there's uh, Twist, who's the, pretty much the cheapest uh, in terms of bulk orders uh, currently for uh, writing DNA. And there's other exciting technologies on, on the horizon in terms of reducing down that cost. So those are the main drivers, I would say. Is there, I was just thinking back to sort of the um, learn aspect that you said, how would you, how would you, or is there a way you would change this design, test, build um, cycle in order to incorporate more of that? I mean, I think the, iter the iterative cycle as a concept, there's nothing wrong with it. I guess it's just how much of a blank sheet of paper are you starting with each time you start <laughs> <laughs> I mean, learn is the last one, yeah. Are you, are you, are, how are you learning off other people or yourselves each time you start a new cycle? So I don't think there's anything wrong with the cycle itself. It's just about how much knowledge we're building on top of uh, and can we kind of move things forward each time. Um, I think I have a last question. In terms of the social perspectives of, uh, for instance, manufacturing something in bacteria um, against um, the natural, what would you say are the main challenges in integrating novel synthetic biology-based technologies into products that are already on the market? I mean, there's so many <laughs> across different levels. I mean, you've got the technical, technological issues in terms of being able to make it um, um, efficiently and purify it. Um, you've obviously got um, issues, but the price of your product that you're competing against uh, can just drop massively. And there's some really famous uh, examples of that. So Artemis is a really famous example. That's the one most people, the, most, the one that most people pick out when they talk about a synthetic biology project. It's a great narrative and story but I don't believe it's been made anymore by that synthetic biology route because the, the, the price just dropped through the floor. I'm not sure if someone was stockpiling it, it and the compound that came from plants, uh, but now it just can't compete. The synthetic biology route to the compound can't compete uh, with the plant extracted. Uh, so there's, there's a huge array of, of kind of challenges there. Some of them, I guess, would arguably about more about economics beyond synthetic biology. I'm not sure if that answered your question or was there another part of it. 
coming back to my question, it was also about the, the social perspectives about synthetic biology. Like, what are the main challenges into society accepting more um, synthetic biology based um, derived chemicals, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two elements of societal. Uh, there's some which is the direct and indirect effects. I may, maybe go back to the example where you're making a product through synthetic biology versus a plant-based route. Obviously, if you make it now through you know, biomanufacturing centre somewhere else, the farmers who are currently farming it and planting it uh, uh, as a livelihood are going to be put out of business. So there's always a there's always an offset. There's an, always a trade-off. In terms of com- public uh, acceptance, um, yeah, you know, there's this question whether synthetic biology is going to be dealt with in the same way as kind of GM crops and things like that. Um, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, certainly there is products already kind of out there um, uh, that people don't seem to have an issue with. Uh, there's flavours and fragrances out there. Um, I believe even chewing gum isn't art- uh, aspartame, the artificial sweetener. That's a GM product, if I believe correctly. So I think the main issue seems to be around whether you seem to ingest it or not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe people don't care if their uh, trainers are made from an engineered bug or the rubber in their trainers is made from an engineered bug. Uh, my feeling is generally it's, it's a selling feature. If people can badge it as bio, um, it has an advantage. And certainly in the flavour and fragrance sector, the really good example is vanillin. Yeah, natural vanillin uh, extracted from vanilla plants is, is $2,000 per kilo. Synthetic vanillin uh, chemically synthesized is, is about six or seven dollars, whereas biovanillin, that's um, the process that we developed by Rhodia, it's currently marketed by Solvay, so biovanillin, uh, that's got an intermediate price around thousand uh, dollars per kilo. So that's made by an engineered uh, uh, bug uh, that will take uh, a plant extracted feedstock and convert it through a fermentation process. Um, but yeah, it, that has a markup because it's bio and it's sustainable. So there is uh, there's potential benefits, I think, in terms of uh, value added, should we say. And it's essentially all the same compound, yeah? It's the same chemical. And that's all for today for our episode with Dr. Neil Dixon. Follow us on Instagram at Manchester IGM 2021 to stay updated. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.